When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Tuesday, August 17, 2020. I'm Ash Bennington. It's TG Tuesday. I'm joined once again by Tony Greer. Here's what we're looking at right now. Uh, let's take a look at what's happening in markets. Looks like the five-day rally in the S&P 500 has ended. Uh, S&P 500 closing, it looks like off on the day at 4,448 off 0.7%. Big tech also getting hammered today. Uh, NASDAQ closing out at 14,656 uh, off almost a full percentage point, 0.93% on the day. The VIX uh, higher, up 1.4%, it looks like, closing out the day at 17.5. Retail sales numbers out today. It's a weaker retail sales number down 1.1% in July on a seasonally adjusted basis. There also seems to be some shift in the consumption patterns that are happening here. Uh, there's a shift to services. It's an unusual report all around. We'll talk more with Tony Greer about that. Finally, uh, the Golden Dragon Index, a Jack Farley favorite. This is the NASDAQ Golden Dragon Index, which allows US investors to get exposure to 98 of the largest cap Chinese equities. It dropped today, 4.5% intraday at the low. Uh, this is after the China State Administration for Market Regulation, a key regulator in China, proposed additional rules to regulate those companies. Let's take a look at where we are right now. It looks like uh, this index has actually paired some of its earlier losses, closing out the day at 10,253. Uh, that's off 2.22% on the day. One final note, later in the show, we're going to do a quick update on the poly network hack, which is starting to get really interesting. With that said, Tony Greer, welcome back. We got a streak going, man. Yeah, man, let's keep it alive. You know, we got an S&P rally going. We've got a uh, appearance streak going. We've been right on our bullish call, and that feels good. Definitely a few things to be concerned about out there on the tape today, right? Yeah, absolutely. What are you looking at on a day when the S&P sold off? Looks like you cut a bit at the end of the day, though. Yeah, it was a nice closing rally. You know, there's still that that group of, um, of people that if you look back on the people that may have been buying the close for the last several years, they've been making a lot of money. So it's not outrageous to see that happen um, within the context of a bull market. Um, some of the things I'm looking at first, a big macro driver that's a concern of mine. You know, the Aussie dollar has been coming off in a pretty big magnitude lately, um, you know, as they sort of segue into a full authoritarian model over there, you know, the currency and the markets are really suffering a little bit. That's going to cause some headwinds for our commodity trade. Yeah. So I've, I've got to pay attention to that. Tony, tell us a little bit about the significance of Aussie dollar, because this is something that currency traders watch very carefully. I sometimes wonder if people in the U.S. equity markets who are maybe novice investors don't really understand the significance of this as a commodities currency. 
So let's look at it as, you know, we've got some major iron ore and steel producers coming out of Australia, right? When the Aussie, one of the big drivers of commodity markets is a weaker dollar. One of the big drivers within that context is a strong Aussie dollar against the U.S. dollar. And the premise is that we are going to have, you know, the stronger currency comes from all of the money flowing into Australia to buy iron ore, to buy steel products when economies are firing cyclically. Right. So that's usually the tailwind that you get when you're long commodities, you're betting on a short dollar, you're hoping that the Aussie dollar is really driving, especially if you're playing in the metal space or the uh, metals and mining space or iron and steel, things like that. Yeah. Serious question for you, Tony. Was that your doorbell or mine? That was my doorbell. And I'm going to ignore that because they obviously don't know that there's a daily briefing going on. <laughs> I thought it might have been mine. Um, no. So, Tony, what else are you looking at here? Yeah. So, um, you know, in addition to the now now we've got, you know, a macro driver in the Aussie dollar causing headwinds to the commodity rally. That's something that I've got to pay close attention to. Um, we see a, a fairly steep sell off in stocks this morning. You know, we check that large um, tick index box on the extreme when on the lows today we printed about minus sixteen hundred. All that tells us is that there were plenty of people hitting bids all at once in the equity markets as they backed off from the highs today. Now, when I try to figure it out why this is happening, you know, I, I kind of get the feeling that we've got sentiment snowballing lower at the moment, right? You know, you know, hinging off of today's weaker retail sales number, last week we saw a big miss in the sentiment gauge, right? We saw a miss in University of Michigan, um, sentiment came in 70.2 versus 80 expected. The Michigan expectations came in at 65 versus 78 expected. And so when these confidence readings are taking major hits off the highs, you know, it's not surprising to look at the stock market and see a little bit of a pullback as the stock market is an entire confidence and credibility gain. Right behind that, I feel like the confidence backing off is probably due to some of the early inflation shocks of the Biden administration, you know, finally hitting people's wallets and them getting a little bit, you know, um, realizing that things are tightening up economically, maybe concerns about lockdowns, um, but also potentially something that hasn't even been factored in to, to consumer sentiment readings is, you know, the Afghanistan news over the weekend, which I think is just a bad optics thing. I don't think it's something that's going to directly affect markets, but it's something that could certainly spill over into the markets. And if it's something that topples sentiment a little bit on the U.S. rally side, we should pay attention. So that's something that my radar is up for. Um, you, you know, chest out, chest beating bull that we're going to forge higher. Uh, I was not surprised in the sell off this morning. I don't know if it's done yet, but I still want to, you know, just be concerned because certain sectors, you know, have large pullbacks today. For yeah. example, you know, Home Depot comes out and misses same store sales, right? It's not a major miss, but it's in, you know, a stock everyone's long and a sector that everyone's long, home builders. And then you've got XHB coming off, you know, uh, commensurately. So there are a few dings to the tape today that I want to pay close attention to while sentiment is backing off and while there's some negative optics on the tape, Ash, if that's fair to say. Yeah, Tony, one of my favorite parts about being on air from you with you is that I get a private Tony Greer note at the beginning of the day, and I love reading this. I love thinking about your thoughts. And one of the things that caught my eye uh, was your analysis of what's happening in Apple and Microsoft. As you point out, two of the biggest uh, market stocks in the market, two of the stocks that are most widely held 
by retail investors. Tell me, what are your thoughts about what's happening there? Yeah, it's 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 a tough read, is what it is. You know, Ashley. You know, when I look at you know, I'm a big fan of reading weekly performance um, to try to give us some some signs as to where the markets are going and what parts of the markets are driving it. You know, last week we had technology in the lead. Excuse me, not in the lead. Technology, financials, staples, healthcare, and utilities all notch all-time closing highs as sectors, right? So to drill down into technology, Apple and Microsoft, arguably two of the biggest stocks in the markets, right, driving the indices, you know, while these stocks are arguably overbought, they're continuing to pound new highs, right? And this is while, um, you know, the inflation trade is cooling off and it's almost looking like uh, shades of a lockdown rotation. You know, I don't know if it's maybe just what the market is going to look like when it backs off, what the leadership might be. But if it's actually just shades of that lockdown rotation where some of the industrial sectors get hit and some of the technology sectors go ahead and catch a bid. So I'm trying to sort that out and, and, yeah. and what that means for the tape. You know, that that's really what, um, you know, what this briefing is about today, because I'm, I'm today is one of those days as a trader that I've got as many questions as I do answers. And when you have as many questions as you do answers, you know, you start to really start kicking tires on your bullish view and, you know, decide what you want to do about it. And so that's, you know, once again, the decision that I'm trying to make right now, if there is a bigger pullback in the tape, what's my game plan? And that's what I'm trying to sort out. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, I'm trying to sort it out too. Tony, I have to tell you, it's just such an unusual market right now. There's so many different forces that are pulling on it. It seems in different directions. I mentioned at the top of the show, the retail sales report. A couple of interesting points that I saw in that bars and restaurants are up. Um, that's an interesting point. Doesn't sort of jibe with what you would think about as a, a traditional uh, lockdown trade seems like people are eager to get out of the house. They've been vaccinated. They've got whatever they've got. And they just want to get out and they want to do it. Um, also, X-Auto sales, retail sales were only down 0.4% as opposed to that headline number of 1.1%. Uh, but clothing, sporting goods, and furniture also dropped. So some slightly big ticket purchases, maybe more discretionary purchases. I don't know, Tony, can you make heads or tails out of this? No, Ash, I try not to read too deeply into the numbers. If I'm going to read too deeply into something, it's going to be into the performance of the tape, you know, and, and only because I'm not smart enough to figure out how the economic numbers are going to gyrate. And if we can figure out how the sectors are going to gyrate, we can make some money. So that's, you know, generally what the game plan is over here, Ash, you know that. Um, to be totally capitalistic for a moment, right? Um, but that is the name of the game, you know. And when I think of now, where where's the money? I, I have to say, I'm back on saying, you know, I'm shocked at how well Bitcoin is performing, right? It's one of those things that you you do the math, and lately this has been the most direct, you know, the better performing inflation hedge than say precious metals. So yeah. you know, things like that are catching my eye. All of a sudden, iron ore has been in a sort of constructed pullback orchestrated by China. You know, they're trying to take the heat off of the inflation um, optics over there as well as we are here. So it's hard to tell where this is going to go. If iron ore leads base metals lower, 
then we're going to be into a pullback situation even deeper for the inflation trade with metals and mining coming off. And so we're going to figure out how to play that. My sense is that we're going to want to buy those on the dip, but my sense is that dip may be coming a little bit more than I usually feel that. Yeah, you know, Tony, I was thinking when you said uh, Bitcoin is uh, is obviously uh, a major winner here. Uh, I guess it depends how deep you want to go down the rabbit hole. Ethereum, I believe, outperforming uh, Bitcoin pretty uh, handily uh, over uh, several different time horizons. And then if you really want to go down the rabbit hole, you talk about things like Cardano. You talk about things like uh, Solana. You look at something like uh, Polkadot. There's a lot of action happening in some of the so-called altcoins. Uh, some of these, basically what these effectively really are, Tony, uh, is these are just alternate choices for Ethereum to execute smart contracts. I know it's a deep rabbit hole, but some interesting stuff happening there. Really is, man. You, are, you can give me a little bit of an updated course on cryptocurrency and why they're moving versus each other, because that would be a great ex great explanation to be able to understand for me. We're going to have to do that on Real Vision Crypto, because I know that our macro and capital markets friends uh, watching us right now will be like screaming and pulling their hair out. They want more Tony Greer talking about the tape. What else are you looking at, Tony? Um, you know, I'm trying not to ignore the big picture sort of uh, baseball almanac stats that the market continues to spit out on me. You know, we, we've just come through um, a period where we're, uh, the S&P has carved higher, and I guess eight out of the last nine weeks now, or nine out of the last 10, and, and I'm not exactly sure which one it is. I gotta double check, but we've been in at least, I think six or seven weeks up, uh, positive in the row. We've carved a new high, and this is a really important factor for me, the S&P has carved a new high in 12 consecutive weeks and not necessarily a new all time closing high, but punched through to a new high for 12 consecutive weeks. So that to me is really illustrative of a trending market. The record is 16 weeks back in 1985. Right. So with the conditions looking like the S&P is going on a run to 5K to me, I want to see if that streak stays alive where we carve a new high every week. Um, you know, things like that. If we continue to put in these streaks, it's going to be and with especially with different sectors taking their turn, making new highs. It's going to be hard for the tape to back off. I'm just seeing a little bit of a headwind to the commodity trade and it's a sentiment right now. So I'm trying to mix that into my equation. Yeah. And of course, you can be strategically bullish, tactically bearish. I know you've got some things that you're looking at. That you see some potential downside in some weakness, cannabis, solar. What's happening in that space? Yeah, you know, cannabis hasn't caught a bid in, in, you know, since really we've moved toward the federal legislation as a rule kind of thing. So um, while that gets teed up, we ran into a sell the fact event that we haven't found the bottom in yet. And, um, you know, I, I really it's it, it, a lot of the stocks have broken down technically, which is a main problem. If you look at, you know, the big drivers of MSOS, the US MSOs like TrueLeave, like CureLeaf, they've all broken down below moving averages. The moving averages are curling over and these moves to the downside just don't look like they're done. These so, are the biggest uh, cannabis companies, the MSOs, the multi-state operators. Exactly. And so I'm, I'm now at least turning my chair toward the cannabis sector to face it, to see where this sell-off is gonna land. And once sentiment gets a little bit more negative and we have a red to green day, then I'll think about you know potentially waiting in. But that's a sector that's breaking down technically alongside the solar sector, which is breaking down technically. So you know, there's a lot, there's a few little 
cracks underneath in the subsectors of the market that are in big danger of serious pullbacks. Airlines is another sector that can't, you know, get back up above its moving averages and looks like it's in danger of taking a big dive lower. You know, as you can see, we're, you know, there's different kinds of restrictions being put in place all over the world, depending on how strictly people are handling the vaccination process. And, you know, that is definitely going to put a damper on travel and travel sentiment. And I don't see why airlines can't trade much lower if we start sort of you know, tightening the travel belt in terms of uh, separating people biologically. So those are some of my thoughts, Ash, and those are some of the risks in the market that I'm definitely concerned about. Yeah. MSOs is like a mouthful. Why don't we just call them green chips? Green chips is a good name. I like that. I'll, I'll suggest that to Todd Harrison, the godfather of the cannabis space. So we'll see what he says. <laughs> By the way, Tony, I'm also fascinated in uh, the psychedelic stocks. Do you know that we now have five primary psychedelic stocks? That's their primary business model. They're listed on the major exchanges, NYSE and NASDAQ. Fascinating. I don't know how yeah. that happened. It's such little fanfare. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't even figure it out. I guess it's just going to be part of the cannabis tailwind and, and there's going to be a, you know, a small enclave of a subculture that are pushing it and you know, then, then there'll be that whole entire community that starts pushing those stocks and we'll see what happens. If there's enough liquidity out there, maybe they'll catch a bid too. Hey, Tony, can I give you a quick update on this poly network hack? Sure. Talk to it's me. Just, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to see what's happening. For people who haven't been following the story, uh, it's a $600 million hack of the poly network, one of the uh, chains that are out there primarily in the DeFi space, but does some other things too. Uh, it's an interchain uh, protocol. So here's something really fascinating that's been going on. 600 million bucks was taken uh, and all the money has been placed in something called a multi-sig wallet. A multi-sig wallet is something that uses a technology called uh, MPC, that's multi-party computation. And what that does is it locks the funds up so that no one individual can have access to them. This is the really strange part, Tony. They are in the process of negotiating, giving back $600 million to the Poly Network. The hackers who have taken the money claim that they don't want the money. They'd be thrilled to get a reward. They say that what they really want to do uh, is to collect interest on the $600 million they have while they negotiate it. And then they claim they're going to give the money back. Now, you can say anyone could claim anything. But what's interesting about this is they've taken, the, they've taken these funds and they've placed them uh, into one of these multi-sig wallets. It certainly suggests that they're going to give back or they are at least negotiating, perhaps in good faith, to give back the money to the protocol. It's a really strange world, isn't it? I mean, that sounds like a science fiction bank heist movie to me. You know, I don't even know how to process that. I'm an X's and O's guy. Well, let me throw one more piece in there. The Poly Network tweeted, I think about 20 hours ago, quote, Polly has no intention of holding Mr. White Hat, that's the pseudonym of the guy uh, who took the money, uh, legally responsible and cordially invites him to be our chief security officer. <laughs> the oh $500,000 bounty is on the way. Whatever Mr. White, Mr. White Hat chooses to do with the bounty in the end, we have no objections. I mean, Mr. White Hat rings of reservoir dogs to me. This whole thing still sounds like a screenplay, Ash. I don't know what to tell you. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know how to process this stuff. Yeah, this is what I would say for people who are just hearing this for the first time, who are maybe macro investors, capital market investors, U.S. equity market investors. 
this is a very unusual space. It's not your grandfather's financial services. What you're seeing right now, the rules are being written for the first time. This is just an incredibly interesting space to watch. It totally is. I'm riveted. Yeah, me too. Tony, what do you say? Should we jump in and do some questions? Sure. I'd love to take some questions. I have as many, I have as, many as they do, though, so I'll do my best to answer theirs. So the first one comes to us from Stephen Moore. This is from the Real Vision Exchange. And the question is, do China tech stocks represent value or are they still overvalued given regulation and China economic data? And then he follows up and says, could U.S. tech stocks be in for similar trends? Tony, are you following these Chinese tech stocks? I am not a close follower of Chinese tech stocks, broadly speaking. You know, I, I've noticed when they are a huge leader of the market moves overnight, for sure. But I'm not really an expert. And, you know, I know some of the big ones, but I'm more focused on the FANG stocks and the local, um, you know, the local big hitters like I've been talking about Apple and Microsoft and FANG, et cetera. But, you know, those are the index drivers. And you have to you absolutely have to be studying them, you know, alongside your study of the markets just because they're the biggest driver. So as long as I keep coming up with things like, you know, it's easy to say that there are signals that say that tech is overbought. Um, I'm paying close attention to a Tom Thornton um, warning that has some DMARC signals that show that Apple is overbought. And I'm also trying to pay attention to my own technical engineering that says that Apple can go a lot higher from here just on a technical basis alone. So that being the case, I think I'm not going to uh, hang my hat on thinking that tech is going to back off as long as Apple, Microsoft and, you know, the XLK are making new all time highs on a fairly regular basis. You know, if you show me something where they get hysterically overbought and we have a massive green to red day where we have an outside reversal week or something like that, then I'll be all ears to a tech pullback. But until we have a, uh, a technical event like that, I'm bullish technology. I have to hey, be. Hey, can I ask you a big picture question just about the way you see the world, Tony? So how sure. do you balance out when you're looking at something like Apple? You mentioned some of the technical indicators. You're looking at Tom Thornton's DeMarc signals. You think that there's some room to run to the upside. How do you balance out the technical with the macro backdrop that we hear constantly about this ping pong rotation uh, between growth and value. And finally, how do you balance it out with some of the fundamental analysis? One of the things that's it's always trendy to say about Apple, or it has been for the last decade at least, that they're losing their technological edge. They're losing their competitive edge. They're losing their advantage. They're not as innovative anymore. How do you balance out these very different ways of looking at the world? Great questions. Well, the, I'll address the fundamental part first. And, you know, I, there have been reasons to think that Apple has been fully valued for a long, long time now. And I'm not a tech expert, tech expert and I'm not a valuation expert because I've learned that trading based off of valuations in the era of QE and massive liquidity does not pay off. Right. That, that is an old school trading method. And I choose to sort of leave it out of most of my analysis when, you know, the, the, the sort of obituary on Apple has been written over and over. And I mean, I've, I've thought for years now that they're pretty much out of products, you know, when everything they come out with is a new sized iPad or a new sized iPhone, it's hard to get excited about the stock. You know, Steve Jobs is long gone. And yet, Tim Cook is just sitting there driving the Millennium Falcon and the Millennium Falcon just keeps going higher. 
So technicians look at it and we're literally in awe. So some of the patterns that it has just put together are extremely bullish. And so that's what keeps me bullish on a, on, on a broad scale. Um, you know, and like, a, you, like we said, there's got to be some balance. So I've got one ear on Tom Thornton who is uh, and monitoring his DMARC signals. And I'm just going to try to trade it from there. Yeah, they were writing Apple's obituary tech journalists uh, in the days when Steve Jobs was uh, CEO the first time around. They wrote the obituary <laughs> right. when John Scully was CEO. And they wrote the obituary when Steve Jobs uh, came back and didn't get a massive success within six months. They just keep doing it. And guess what? Apple keeps chugging along. You look at it on a five-year time horizon. They're always getting into new markets, music, movies, the production business, uh, you know, iPads, iPhones, all these things were markets they didn't have. It used to be called Apple Computer, the name of the company, now just Apple. And, you know, they're they're one of those sort of unchecked monopolies with $100 billion in cash. You know, I mean, they can literally do whatever they want. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, absolutely. Here's one that I know you're following, Tony. This comes to us from Katie. Uh, KT wants to know uh, what's your update on the perspective of crude? Crude oil, you know, crude oil falls into the category of I'm still fundamentally and structurally bullish given um, the, the economic recovery scenario. I'm, I'm got, I've got to be cognizant that, you know, crude oil may be as susceptible of a pullback as I think the stock market maybe could be just given how sentiment is backing off. You know, we, we probably got a lot of length in the crude oil market still. Um, However, structurally, when, when spreads stay as bid as they are, and at least technically hang in there on dips, you know, the market has been telling you for the last $75 that if you buy the dip, you're in good shape. And so until that, that sort of dynamic breaks down, I'm still looking for oil to trade higher. I think that we had to live through a big sell the fact event with the last OPEC meeting. And so it made sense for oil to come off the highs. It feels like it's still in the process to test prices that may be a little bit lower. You know, maybe we test something like 60 or 65, but that doesn't mean that I'm not still constructive. I would love to get a chance to buy, you know, XLE at the 200 day moving average. Um, but I'm also aware right now that oil services stocks, OIH, look like they're breaking down pretty hard. And so until we clean the length out of that market, we'll see how the um, other sectors look. But generally, I'm going to remain a buyer of energy on the dips, thinking that we are in a secular bull market off of the off of the sort of last year's lockdown lows. I'm still looking at the trade that way. Yeah. You know, while we were talking Apple, we got a great two word question from Carlos B. And the question is, and Google? Oh. <laughs> you know, Google That's is a partnership with partnership with the U.S. government. You know, I mean, I don't see a lot of downside to that stock. You know, that I, to me, when I look at the Google chart, it either consolidates or rallies, right? There are very few events that really knock Google off of its pace. And, you know, the closer they get with the government in sharing information for, you know, keeping tabs on Americans and everything else, I mean, that's another unchecked monopoly. It, you know, when YouTube can control speech, 
you know, I, I think it's a pretty strong, powerful company that you can probably buy into right now until somebody talks about breaking them up, which I don't know if it's necessarily bearish. I mean, I don't think that there's any there's any reason not to be long any Netflix. Yeah. Uh, here's one that comes just from William H. Tony. This is a question that you were uh, sort of alluding to before talking about stimulus on the monetary side. This is a question about stimulus on the fiscal side. And the question is, it's three, another three word question, another short one. Stimulus cliff, question mark. Thoughts? This is something we hear more and more about. I hear people asking about what's going to happen when the stimulus rolls off. Yeah, you know, our, there's a there's a point to be made, I think, that we've probably reached, you know, kind of full expectations in terms of both fiscal and monetary stimulus, right? Like in on the fiscal side, I won't talk about monetary because we've already, we've talked about that enough yeah. and we want to stay on the fiscal topic here. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that the Biden administration's made it clear that this is their MO, right? The stimulus check, um, the stimulus bill, the infrastructure package, all of this is going to be, you know, more debt is their answer to everything. And so mm -hmm. while I think that uh, I don't see a cliff happening at all, because I think that it's going to continue to go higher. And, you know, I'm not sure what point is the breaking point. But, you know, until somebody decides that our bonds are no longer a, a good purchase, given the credit value, um, you know, I don't see how the administration doesn't continue to sort of operate this way. As long as markets dictate that, you know, with the S&P carving a new high last weekend, for example, that they can handle, um, you know, more stimulus and more infrastructure packages coming out of the government, you know, as inflationary as we know it is, we go back to the stock market being there is no alternative. So, you know, I don't I don't see what's going to make the Biden administration stop taxing and spending. I mean, they don't even have to answer questions about anything. So there's no criticism and there's no stop. There's no blockage in the way of continued fiscal stimulus at every level for the next two and a half years. Yeah. You know, our viewers, Tony, are going around the horn with the FANG stocks. Another short one, SAS crypto. What about Amazon, Tony? Amazon is, you know, the one that's that's, you know, sideways to nowhere lately during the whole market explosion. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos, that that, you know, that terrible optics print when he came out of space, you know, the stock hasn't printed a dollar higher since that. And, um, you know, sometimes that's how it goes. Sometimes I, I just think that they're uh, probably caught in the crosshairs of, you know, the stock is probably, you know, a great stock to own, but at the moment it's having trouble rallying because it's seen its best days at peak lockdown. And maybe the market isn't going to give it credit like we're going to see peak full lockdown again. And so that's why Amazon's not having its best day. But I'm not an expert in Amazon stock. I'm really not. I just I'm really I'm focused on Apple now. I've got my clients, on, you know, kind of playing Apple from the long side on a technical break. But um you know, I'm concerned about some of the overbought signals, and I'm also feeling like, you know, the S&P can continue higher. I'm just concerned about a few other sectors of the market, if that's fair, but none of them have caused me to liquidate my portfolio or anything. I'm just concerned. Well, you know, it's a very important lesson, Tony. Don't leave the morning navigator to go to space. Great point. Great point. We're going to keep <laughs> the navigator in the water where I'm comfortable. <laughs> Listen, Tony, we're running out of time here, but there's one question that I really want to hit. Uh, this one comes to us from Jeff Defoe. Maybe just a quick answer. Uh, what drove the dollar higher today? I tell you, I really think it's that, you know, the biggest downside move that I can find in the currency market is the Aussie dollar. 
Um, you know, if, if you follow along with what's going on over there, you know, there are very few COVID deaths and millions of Aussies locked in their homes that are being patrolled by the military. They're unable to leave for any reason. It is a full slide. It's a totalitarianism and the currency market is reflecting that. And so when a country like that, I mean, you know, it's starting to look like a penal colony again, which is the way it started. And that's not going to be bullish for the capital markets, for the currency nor for the real estate market, which has been keeping the country alive. I mean, you know, the real estate market in Australia has been just driving higher no matter what. And that seems to be the number one thing on Australians mind to the point that, you know, I'm in certain ninja circles that are saying that the only reason they're accepting this lockdown is because they've had such an unbelievable bump in property value. And while that's obviously a bit of an exaggeration, it might play into the picture. Yeah. So Tony, I know we got to get out of here before they pull us off with the hook. Final thoughts, what you're going to be looking at for the next week. By the way, back again next week. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to keep the Pete Rose streak alive, Ash. That's the most important thing to me. Um, you know, we'll be back with some good color, hopefully. What I'm watching really going forward is I'm going to pay attention to how rates reflect and, and how the rates and market-based inflation expectations change. If we start to see a pullback in consumer confidence and sentiment, you know, while, while we're seeing a pullback in consumer confidence and in, in consumer sentiment, we're seeing things like, you know, a 90 percent bullish sentiment in the Nasdaq. You know, so those things don't always jive where, you know, the consumer all of a sudden takes a little bit of a sentiment nosedive. You know, maybe the stock market is kind of the last one to find out kind of thing. And there's a dip to come. So I'm a little bit concerned about that. but. If, if structurally, like I said, if those sort of baseball almanac data keep ending up being the case at the end of the week where these streaks stay alive and the S&P carves higher highs and the biggest stocks in the in the most popular sectors of the market stay intact, then it's really hard for me to get bearish the stock market. I'm just yeah. I'm just concerned about a few dynamics changing right now that I need to pay attention to that may cause me to pull the trigger on something. So. That's how I'm looking at it, if that's fair, Ash. Yeah, we're going to watch those dynamics closely. TG Tuesday, now weekly only on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. That's right, my man. Let's keep the streak together. Thanks for joining us again, Tony. And thanks for the questions, everyone. Really great ones today. Great stuff, guys. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.